2: On earth peace to men on whom his favor rests is preferred over the King James version goodwill toward men God's peace is not given to those who have goodwill but to those who are the recipients of God's goodwill or favor or to put it as another writer states it the point is rather that through the birth of the Messiah God extends His favor to people who have done nothing to deserve it. Does God's favor and peace only land in the lap of good people? Or does
0: God's peace rest on those who are the undeserved recipients of His goodwill? Because peace only comes to those whose God's restorative work has taken place between Himself and sinful man, we must understand our part in this relationship. As Pastor David explains, we can know with absolute certainty that the peace he has offered long ago in the form of a baby is for everyone who would receive his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's Pastor David with the first part of his message entitled, Undeserved Peace.
2: morning. How was your week? Was it normal? Was it uh, a week that went pretty much one day to the next day, to the next, until pretty soon the week was done, and you just sort of simply slide into the next week, and it's one day after another day after another day, and then pretty soon another week is gone, and nothing real particular, nothing real spectacular happened with your week. Now, my guess would be that probably for most of us, most of our weeks are that way. Normally, our weeks go normal, okay? Okay? I want to talk today about a group of uh, common people, not too unlike you and I, who lived a fairly common life. They weren't a part of high society. They definitely weren't part of the movers and shakers of their community. It was just normal people having a normal day, a normal experience, until they experienced a super normal event, a super event, when Literally, the work and the word and the move of God came upon their lives. Their lives, I believe, were changed. They were changed for eternity. Because they deserved it? No. But because it was God's plan. Look with me, if you would, uh, in your Bibles in the Gospel according to Luke in chapter 2 as we've been going through the, uh, the Gospel of uh, Luke and Last week we looked at verses uh, 1 through 7, again, of uh, Mary and Joseph traveling from Nazareth down to Bethlehem and giving birth to the child there. This morning I want to look at uh, verses 8 through 20, uh, another group of people that the birth of Christ impacted in a powerful way. Beginning in verse 8, we read these words, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. Do you think that happened on a regular basis for them? No, no, we'll look at that in a moment. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Okay, now we've come to this part of the nativity story of Christ. We've come here to these shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. You need to understand, first of all, that their job as shepherds was absolutely necessary for the culture of the Jews, not only for the sacrificial system of their religion, but also because the sheep were used in so many different ways in so much of their lives. They would use the wool for clothing, as well as blankets, as well as other items for daily living. The the lamb skin or the sheep skin made great chamois to be able to dry their cars off in the you know, after you know. They they would use the, the milk of the sheep. You know, the cattle were pretty much few and far between. It was easier to raise sheep than it was cattle. And yes. On occasion, they would partake of perhaps a uh, lamb roast or a leg of lamb or lamb chops or a rack of lamb or ground lamb lamb or grilled lamb or lamb kebabs or lamb tacos or Irish lamb stew, lamb burgers, maybe even a shawarma or two, okay? Now, if you don't know what a shawarma is, you have not lived. For those of you that have been to Israel, hopefully while you were there, you partook of a shawarma. Just a little sidetrack here. You take a large pita, not these little ones that you get here, but a large piece of pita bread and you slather a great hummus on top of it. And the better the hummus, the more you pile on, okay? And then you put on there, grilled or, or uh, it's it, it slowly grilled all day long, this slices of lamb on there. And then you pile on all sorts of vegetables, uh, cucumbers and cabbage and tomatoes and onions and all. And then you spread a little tahini sauce on top of it. And then you roll that thing up and, oh, heaven. I'm in heaven. We're going to dismiss and we're going to go on to lunch. Yeah, yeah. Needless to say, the lambs, the sheep were used in a lot of ways. They were important people in that aspect. Very needful, their, their position, their job was. And yet at the same time, they were looked down upon within the society that they lived not too unlike, say, within our culture, the uh, how many might view uh, you know the garbage man or the or the, the the guy that works out at the sewage treatment plant let 's face it, you know your children, when they're little, they don't come up to you and say, "Daddy, when I grow up, I want to pick up people 's garbage, not the ideal idea of thought of a of a of a job. Uh, I want to work at the the sewage plant out there." That's how the thought and the idea of these shepherds were. It was kind of a, uh, it was a menial job. We don't want to deal with them too much. You wouldn't want to be around them. And as a matter of fact, to give you kind of an idea of how the Jews felt about the shepherds in the writings of the Talmud, the Jewish writing, we read that shepherds, shepherds weren't even allowed to be used in courts as witnesses, they just didn't either, they didn't believe them or they just didn't want them in the courtroom at all. Another source declared that no help must be given to the heathen or to shepherds. So that's kind of the attitude of the of society toward these guys. So here are the shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night on the hills outside of Bethlehem. The Mishnah tells us that the sheep intended for daily sacrifices for the temple they were fed they were cared for out in the area of Bethlehem and the pastures that surrounded Bethlehem so because of the location of these shepherds it could have been they could have been the very ones that were taking care of the the temple sheep those that were going to be sacrificed through the various uh, religious ceremonies that were going to be taking place there in the temple. It's a very, very strong possibility that that's the sheep that they were taking care of. And I believe also it fits very nicely into this story that the shepherds who took care of those sheep, that were going to be used as a sacrifice are the very shepherds that the angels are going to come to and speak about the Lamb of God being born, the one who would become the sacrifice for all the world. We do know that they weren't very far from Bethlehem. It says that they were in the same country here in the Word. We also see a little bit later that it didn't seem to be too much of a journey for them to leave the sheep at that point and go on into Bethlehem in the middle of the night to see the fulfillment of what the angels had told them. So here we have these cultural outcasts doing a very necessary but menial job Pretty much the greatest excitement that they would see in their week would be maybe a bear or a lion trying to come in and steal one of their sheep. But for the most part, every night the same. And then verse 9 happens. It says, "...and behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid." It's interesting, the, the phrase, the words that Luke uses to tell us about this sudden experience. It'd be like you or, her, or I just turning around, bam, somebody's standing there that we really didn't expect to be standing there. It's kind of like when we're children, okay? And I know not all of you did this, but my brothers did this, okay? Uh, you know where the cookies are in the cabinets and You know that mom's on the other side of the house, she's busy, and so you pull a chair up to the counter and you climb up on the chair, you climb up on the countertop, you open the cabinet where the cookies are, you reach in, you grab the bag where the cookies are, you quickly put one in your mouth just in case you get busted, but then you grab a couple of more and you put in your pocket and you very quietly fold the bag back up. You quietly close the cabinet. You start crawling down, and you turn around, and bam, there's mom standing there, and you are so busted. I don't believe that these shepherds were sitting there, and from a far distance, they saw this light coming toward them. It says, suddenly this angel was there. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. In the mediocrity, in the quietness, in essence, the solitude of that night, it was broken in a very quick, a very sudden way by this angel that stands before them. And along with that suddenness, Luke tells us that the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And that Greek word for glory is doxa. It's the word we uh, get, the our word doxology, just a word of praise, a word of worship. It means the glory, the majesty, the splendor of God. Almighty God flowing over them in in every direction. One writer, a fellow by the name of Spence Jones, he puts it this way, the white shining cloud of intolerable brightness, known among the Jews as the Shekinah, or the Shekinah, glory, the visible token of the presence of the eternal. In the bush, in the pillar of fire and cloud which guided the desert wanderings, in the tabernacle and in the temple. It shone around the Redeemer on the Mount of Transfiguration. It robed him when, it, when he appeared to the Pharisee Saul on the road to Damascus. The terror felt by the shepherds was the natural awe that's always felt by man when brought into visible communion with the Almighty. With this suddenness of the angelic presence and the, the splendor of that Shekinah glory flowing all around them, shining all around them, not able to even escape that. I, I believe that as the glory of the Lord shone around them, it's not like you could hide behind the bigger shepherd so that it wouldn't shine on I believe that it penetrated everything at that point in time and it got their attention. So much so that it's no wonder that these shepherds were greatly afraid. I love how the King James translation puts it. King James says, and they were sore afraid. And let's face it, if your knees were knocking together as hard as those shepherds' knees were knocking together, you would be sore afraid also. The actual understanding of that, the Greek word, puts kind of an interesting spin on it. The straightforward translation of the Greek is, they feared a great fear. And whenever it comes in that kind of a double way, man, that you, you need to understand, a great, great fear, much more fear even than your mama put on you when she busted you with the cookies, okay? There was a great fear. Because for these shepherds, the only thing that they could understand is this was the, the avenging angel of the Lord that had come to take them out because, let's face it, they didn't look at themselves probably with very much uh, esteem, in their position, and the way that the culture treated them, and now the angel of the Lord would appear to them? What other reason would it be than to take them out, to bring their death? Just as Zacharias saw the angel Gabriel there in the temple as we looked in chapter 1, the word told us that he was troubled and fear fell upon him. Well, these shepherds were also in fear, fear of their very lives. But then the angel didn't let them stay there. Look at verse 10. In verse 10 it says, Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold I bring you good tidings of great joy which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. When we read or we hear about this angelic proclamation, we could easily be cynical. We could ask ourselves, well, does the gospel message, does the good news, does this glad tidings really and truly bring joy to all people? But the problem comes with our understanding of really what's being said here and what the angel is declaring. If I were to tell you that the news has come out and that everyone living within the city limits of Casa Grande, Arizona, was going to receive a gift of $40,000 from a very wealthy benefactor. Let me ask you, would that be good news? What about you guys that live outside of Casa Grande? It's not such good news, is it? But let's go back to you that are here within the city limits. It's good news to you only if you're willing to receive it. Only if you're willing to take that gift that's being offered. I loved how Sue, on the closing ceremonies of Vacation Bible School, she had a gift, beautifully packaged. uh, Tough for a little kid to open up, but it was beautifully packaged. And she called Jacob up and said, Jacob, I want to give you this gift. And she said, this gift is yours. But she held on to it. She asked him the question, so is this gift really yours? It's not until you receive it. So he received it. And yet, even then, it's not really completely, fully his until he opens it up. And you see, this good news is available to all people, but it's not going to be good news to all people because not all people are going to receive that gift. Not all people are going to open up what has been offered to them. We look here and the hope of the gospel has been given to all people not just to those of a particular area or within the boundaries or borders, not those of some particular nationality, not a particular tribe, not a particular people group. It's available to whosoever, and it is effective in their lives only to those who take advantage of that offer, of that good news. And the angel's words were dripping with all kinds of messianic meaning. He says, in the city of David, and he didn't say in Bethlehem. They knew what he was speaking about when he said the city of David, but in declaring the city of David, he not only declared a portion of the prophetic declaration that he would be born in Bethlehem, but he also speaks of the lineage of Christ. The city of David, he is of the lineage of King David. He says, in the city of David, a savior And this very name speaks of his position. Remember, his name is Jesus. The very understanding and the meaning of the name. The Hebrew is Yeshua, meaning Jehovah is salvation. He is the Savior. In the city of David, a Savior, Yeshua, will be born, who is the Christ. This, again, speaks of his position. It speaks of his calling. To the Jew, he was Yeshua HaMashiach. Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, the Anointed One. That's what Messiah means. In the Hebrew, Is Mashiach. In the Greek, it's Christ. All three of those the same. The Anointed One, the Christ, the Messiah. The angelic proclamation declared who Jesus is, his position in the work of God's grace and God's mercy, the reason for his calling and the reason for his position and place in that physical life why he even took upon himself physical flesh. He goes on to speak and say, not only in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ, but who is Christ the Lord. And again, this speaks of his authority. It speaks of his leadership in the lives and the affairs of men, all men, and all of his creation. He's not just Lord of those who recognize him and call him Lord. Do you understand that? He's not just Lord of the believers. He is Lord over all of His creation. Even when men don't recognize His authority, even when men don't uh, abide by His leadership in their lives, He is still Lord over them. The Word of God declares Him to be Lord of all, over all things, over all kingdoms, over all powers, over every dominion all of this under his control. You don't need to turn there, but in Revelation chapter 19, after again the the time of tribulation and all, Jesus comes back to claim his rulership over all of that creation. And he doesn't come as a helpless little babe in a manger in a, in a back area someplace. No, he comes as the warrior riding on a white horse, judging and making war with the nations who have rejected him. And the word tells us that his eyes will be like a flame of fire, and on his head there will be many crowns. And again, speaking of his authority, of his lordship, and he'll have on his robe and on his thigh a name written, king of kings, and lord of lords. Yes, he is the Savior, Christ the Lord. But that's not how the shepherds found him, is it? They found him born humbly as a babe, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. But before they went to find him, after the angel had made this proclamation, verse 13 tells us, and suddenly, again, Luke uses this word of bam, it's there. Just as this one angel finishes, bam, this host of other angels is there. Suddenly with that angel, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Again, they're words giving glory, giving praise to God Almighty, God in the highest. But again, we need to be careful how we understand and what we understand this passage to be. Some of late have interpreted to say that God's peace will come to men of goodwill. Your version in your Bible may even say that. But that would leave us to understand that God's favor and thus his peace only lands on good people. And yet the very translation of that text really more clearly brings out the fact that his peace that he gives, the peace on earth, will come to the people he favors. J.A. Martin, in his commentary on this verse, says, The better understanding is that on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests is preferred over the King James Version's goodwill toward men. God's peace is not given to those who have goodwill, but to those who are the recipients of God's goodwill or favor, or to put it as another writer states it. The point is, rather that through the birth of the Messiah, God extends his favor to people who have done nothing to deserve it and he graciously grants them peace. Peace expresses the nature of salvation as the restoration of good relations between God and sinful people and the consequent reception of his blessing. So with that understanding, with that realization of what's being said there, we above all people need to realize that the only peace, the only peace that's possible on this earth is the peace that comes from receiving the favor of God. And secondly, that finding or receiving the favor of God is not so much an action of our own, which brings about his favor, as it is the work of God's sovereign call, the work of God in our life.
0: We can all remember the marketing campaign WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? While this became somewhat cliche, the concept behind it is crucial. In each and every circumstance, we need to consider not only what Jesus would do, but what he did do when he was here on Earth. As Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke, we'll see exactly what Jesus did. We're sure today's message has been a blessing to you. Maybe you'd like to get a copy of today's message. Here's Tracy with all the information you need.
1: Life these days moves fast. From one appointment to the next, most of us race through our days with blinding speed. Those in-between moments are great opportunities to connect with God by hearing from Him. To hear more encouraging words from God's Word through the ministry of Pastor David, go to TheOpenWord.com and click on the Teachings page.
0: Thanks, Tracy. Again, to secure your own copy of today's message, simply log on to TheOpenWord.com and select the Teachings page. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. In the next edition of The Open Word, David will continue teaching through the Word of God. So please make plans to join us again, and may God richly bless you.
1: Make us